Welcome back to the podcast. Today we are in our final episode of our Keep the Fires Burning series, a study of the minor characters of the Bible that can teach us major lessons. But before we jump into it, I just want to talk a little bit about Evidence for Faith and the ministry we do here. If you've been listening for a while, you know that we are completely 100% donor supported. We're able to produce uh, these lessons, put them online, put everything out for free, and even do a lot of speaking events for free uh, because donors, listeners just like you actually support us on a regular basis uh, to pay our operations expenses or salaries and even cover a lot of travel expenses so we can go to places that typically uh, a lot of speakers can't go because people just can't afford some of the large speaking fees. That's something we don't do. We don't charge a speaking fee. So when you're supporting Evidence for Faith, you're not just supporting the production of this podcast, of the website, of the content and the videos. You're also supporting our ability to go and speak with different groups, answer their questions about the Bible, help them dig deeper in their faith. So it's, you're really helping support all that missionary work on top of that. So if you'd like to become a donor or you've just been impacted by our work and you want to just give us a thank you in the form of money... <laughs> We'd really appreciate that. Um, you can uh, go to the website. It's evidenceforfaith.org slash give, or you can check the description uh, for the link uh, to go donate. And you can donate online, or you can also send a check through the mail. There's different ways to donate. So that's evidenceforfaith.org slash give, evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. So with that, I'm going to let Michael take it away today with our last episode and Keep the Fires Burning, Martha. Hello and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane, and this is the final lesson having to do with the series that we're doing called Keep the Fires Burning. Now, these are minor characters, but major lessons that they teach us in our walk with Christ, our relationship with God, what we can learn from them. And we've been seeing a lot of different characters throughout this series, and in this last lesson and, and following the, the lesson, um, once we finish this character, I just want to do a quick little follow-up on the end, just um, some final thoughts on this. But uh, today's lesson is going to focus on a character. Again, we've already talked about her to a degree. It's Martha, Martha, the sister of Mary that we just did in the previous lesson. Um, so we're going to learn from her and what we can take from her life and apply to ours in our relationship with God. So with that, let me start off, though, by telling you a story. <clears throat> you see, years ago when I taught biological sciences in, in high school, I often allowed certain students to help me in my lab, prepping chemicals and equipment, making media for cultures, cleaning, all sorts of things like this. I primarily taught my lessons in school by hands-on approach and not so much as straight lectures. So I required a lot of labs. This required me actually to write a lot and prepare a lot of labs. I mean, that takes extra time as a teacher, but I would I would usually be like the first or the second teacher at school, and I was often outside of the coaches. I was one of the, the last of the academic teachers to leave because I was usually prepping and writing um, labs and stuff. Well, one year, among a few students I chose to help me with this, I agreed to take this one girl. We're going to call her Connie. It's not her real name. We'll just call her Connie. Connie was a sweet person. Oh, she was very, very smart. We got along great when I was her teacher in, in classes, and I thought she'd be a great fit for my, my purpose. So I soon began to notice something about her as she started working for me, though. Though she could perform phenomenally at cleaning, 
uh, mixing chemicals, etc. She often did not follow my directions exactly, thus causing some labs to actually fail. On other occasions, I left her in the room to clean glassware, only to come back and see her doing other tasks beside the task I had signed her, and all the glassware is still dirty. Her work was excellent, what she did, but she was making more work for me instead of helping me. The problem was she didn't always listen to what I told her. She just saw things to do and would go and do them without considering what I needed done. Many times I told her that I appreciated her work, but I needed her to do what I assigned her to do. Instead, she would reassign her workload to, to do what she wanted to do and disregarded my, my instructions. I know, deep down, I know she was trying to impress me with her work. And to be honest, at times, she did excellent work. I mean, she was a great worker. But not doing what I asked made my life more stressful and was increasing my workload. It wasn't helping me. I tried to get her to see that I truly appreciated her work, but that she needed to find a balance between serving me and listening to what I would tell her to do. Well, after a few more weeks of this, I finally just had to dismiss her, though she was doing excellent work and service. The problem was she just never connected the service she performed to what I would tell her to do. Well, we're going to see Martha, the character of our lesson today, who is a very popular person, very popular in the Gospels. Most people know Mary and Martha, but most people know very little about her life. Um, we first meet Martha in Luke's Gospel in a telling story that defines two women, Mary and Martha. So going to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 out of the English Standard Version, um, it reads, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Mary, sorry, excuse me, but in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, you do not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, the first thing, if you look at that, that passage very carefully, one of the first things you're going to notice is where this is at. This is taking place in a village, it says. Now, the village is later on identified as the, the village of Bethany, which is located just a couple of miles from Jerusalem on the east side of the Mount of Olives. So it's a short distance in walking um, from Bethany to Jerusalem. Next, we read in that passage that Martha is mentioned first. Did you catch that? She's mentioned first and that she welcomes Jesus. And in this, she would be also welcoming his entourage, his disciples and stuff, into her house. Notice that it states, actually states, it's her house. She apparently is the headmistress of the home. There is no mention of a husband who, if she was married, would have certainly been identified as the head of the house. Now, this is significant in those days because most women were married when they were in their early teens, some around as early as the age of 12. Some preach, some pastors will preach, that women did not own homes. I've actually sat in sermons like that. 
Uh, that's not correct. In fact, the New Testament lists several women in high social standing, such as Mary Magdalene, Chloe, Nympha, and Lydia, who owned houses. They owned their homes. So we know from the gospel writers that Jesus had even some women who supported him in his ministry. For instance, in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, soon after he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, what is Martha doing in this passage we read at the beginning? What is she doing when it's written that she invited Jesus into her house? Well, she's preparing to serve a meal. Now, this is a cultural reference, meaning that she was not just allowing Jesus in, but was going to serve him a meal. And even today in Israel, it's common custom to offer drinks or food to guests. Those of you who go to Israel or have traveled there and go to the old city of Jerusalem, um, or if you come with me um, on one of our trips, you will see that in some of the places we go, the store owner or um, some manager in some places will actually come out and offer you something to drink, uh, fruit juice or something like this, or tea or coffee as um, you come in. It's it's a social custom. It's a, it's a common custom to do this. You see, this was her concern. It's about this this custom of offering food and stuff to the guests. She wanted to serve Jesus. Do you get that? Martha wanted to serve Jesus. And too often, Martha is singled out in the story as doing something really wrong. Well, I don't think she's doing anything majorly wrong. Um, she is fulfilling the custom of that day of serving Jesus food and drink. That's what she's doing. And in, in verse 39, we read that Martha had a sister named Mary. By the style of the writing that we see here in the Greek, we can guess that Mary is younger than Martha. But look where Luke, as he writes this, places Mary. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, we talked about this in our previous lesson. We focused on Mary. Again, too often, though, we hold Mary in higher regard than Martha because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I mean, really, who could fault her for doing this? Jesus even commands and blesses her for this. And what do we do? We got Martha's case. Oh, yeah, but Martha is doing something commendable. Now, what do you think Mary, let's just think for a second. What, what do you think Mary was doing before sitting at the feet of Jesus? All these people are about to come into the house. She was most likely helping in the kitchen because Jesus would have had his disciples with him. He had quite a following. And we're not just making a case of placing another plate on the table or putting another tater in a pot, as my mom used to say. Um, they're preparing a, a meal, a big meal, and this is an elaborate thing. This would have been an elaborate meal that Martha wanted to do her best in serving Jesus. It's very likely her motive, though, was getting in her way. Instead of preparing a simple meal, it appears she might be trying to serve a more elaborate meal and needed more help. Why do people do things like this? We're not told for sure here, but I do believe that it's often because we're trying to make an impression on someone. 
I myself, I remember being guilty of the same thing back in my later teens and even in my early 20s, where I would prepare an extraordinary meal for someone to impress them. Little did I realize back then that my motive was not really for my guest, but it was for myself, pride, if you will, trying to make a special impression and feel good about myself. That's pride. Martha could have just made a simple meal, very simple, and then just joined Mary at Jesus' feet. But that's not what she did. No. Apparently, while working in the kitchen, Mary seems to have wandered off, and Martha then sees her sitting at the feet of Jesus. This causes Martha to fume, or if you pardon the cliche, she starts to boil over. She is now doing all the work and serving. So she asks Jesus for help. Martha seems to be upset that both Mary and Jesus are resetting, if you will, the cultural boundaries of the day. Notice that Martha was being hospitable. She's wanting to serve Jesus. These are two great gifts. As a matter of fact, they're spiritual gifts. In this culture, though, this was actually the sacred duty of a woman of the house. So it's a commendable task that she is performing. I don't think we should condemn her for this, but she does have her priorities a little mixed up. Notice how she handles the situation. It says, and she went up to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, here's the point, and this is very important. Did you notice that she's correcting Jesus and telling her Lord what to do? I am sure that none of us are guilty of such behavior. I hope you noted the sarcasm in that statement. Martha does intend to do that at times. And that seems to be a major flaw with her. Um, and, and the thing is, she's not afraid to tell him to tell God when she believes that God is making a mistake. For instance, in John's gospel, um, he records the story of Jesus raising her brother, uh, Martha's brother Lazarus from the dead. He's been dead for four days when Jesus shows up at the house. She had sent a message when he was ill, but Jesus waited until he was dead. He's been dead now for four days. He's already buried and in the tomb. Look how she, how Martha addresses Jesus. This is in John chapter 11, verse 21. Look what she says. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She seems to be telling him that Jesus should have planned his travel schedule better so that Lazarus would not have died. But, but now, she's not done correcting Jesus. When Jesus says to roll the stone away, look at her response. This is John eleven thirty nine, And Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Did you ever catch that Martha is trying to correct Jesus? telling him what to do or how to plan his trip. And, and now she's telling him that her brother's going to stink and the smell will be terrible. In other words, she's saying, Jesus, you're making a mistake. That's what's going on. Martha has no problem in correcting God. And again, I know none of us would do such a thing, sarcasm intended. This seems to be an area of trouble for Martha in her spiritual life. Now, it's commendable. She wanted to serve the Lord. Very commendable, and that's a correct thing to do. But when Jesus directed her to do something that didn't seem right to her, her response would be to tell God where he's making a mistake. Now, before we jump all over poor Martha, I want to point out three admirable characteristics that I see in this gal. 
first. The second time Jesus and his entourage come to Bethany and stay at her house, Martha seems to have learned the lesson from her mistake about the first dinner. This is recorded in John chapter 12 in the first three verses. And I'm going to read this out of the God's Word translation. And it's a little easier to understand. And it reads, Six days before Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany. Lazarus, whom Jesus had brought back to life, lived there. Dinner was prepared for Jesus in Bethany. Martha served the dinner, and Lazarus was one of the people eating with Jesus. Mary took a bottle of expensive perfume made from pure nard and poured it on Jesus' feet. Then she dried his feet with her hair. The fragrance of the perfume filled the house. Now, did you catch that there's a house full of people and dinner is being served? Mary appears again to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's Martha doing? She is serving, but this time she's not upset. Martha, she just does not get upset this time. She has apparently learned her lesson. She is a serving person. Serving is her spiritual gift. Serving is an act of worship. It is a spiritual gift God places in some people. We, we see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 7. Serving God is a gift, and it's an act of worship. It is interesting that the Greek word here that's being used in the Greek for um, for the, what Martha is doing is called uh, diakonia. Diakonia. You get the word deacon out of this. It's the literal interpretation of diakonia is to wait on tables. That's really what the word means, and that's why deacons are servants in the church, and that's where that comes from. So that's what she is being. Um, how this is being described. The second point I want to note. Uh, want you to notice. Another uh, second admirable thing, Martha has faith. She really does have faith. In John 11, we read the sad story of Lazarus's death. Let's take a look at John 11, and let's read through, um, starting at verse 1. We're going to sort of skip around a little bit. Um, we'll read 1 through 6, and then we'll pick up 17 to 27. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It will be for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, uh, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Now let's skip down to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again, Martha said to him. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
Now, notice who met Jesus on the road to Bethany. It was Martha. Mary stayed in the house and didn't come to meet him. But then Martha's old habits start to appear again because she starts to correct Jesus. And after this, look at the faith, though, that Martha expresses. She says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That is an amazing statement of faith. It's also very similar to what Peter responded to Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. We read about in Matthew 16, 15 and 16. He said to him, Jesus is talking, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Martha has tremendous faith. A third element I want to make mention of is how Martha has grown. Look carefully at her response when Jesus gets near after her brother's death. Now, this is John eleven twenty. We read, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now, in those days, it was the custom of the deceased family to sit on the floor or on a low chair in their house when mourning the loss of a loved one. Friends would come over and grieve with them. This is still a custom among some in the Middle East and Judaism today. It's called Shiva, and it is very therapeutic for the release of grief. Well, Mary stays in the house following the cultural custom. Martha arises and goes to Jesus. Now, what can we learn from Martha? I see three major lessons that we can learn from this gal. First, Martha is teachable. Martha is teachable. When God taught her something, she not only learned it, but then she would put it into action. We see this by her actions of, of the parts of the story that she plays in the Gospels. You see, too often today, people will read the Word of God. They hear God tell them something, maybe in a sermon or something, or in their devotions of some change that they need to make in their life that they really need to do, but they refuse to do it. They refuse to repent. They refuse to make any changes. In other words, they're not teachable. They're not teachable. That's not Martha. A second thing that we can learn about Martha, this is an obvious one. Martha wanted to serve God. This is very commendable. But serving God must be balanced with sitting at the feet of Jesus, communing with Jesus, reading his word, and praying are so important in our spiritual walk. You want to keep your walk with God strong? This is so important. You see, too often Christians, pastors, missionaries, get too caught up in serving that they neglect their relationship with Jesus. I've seen it. I've seen it uh, many times in, in full-time ministry. Folks, we must never do that. There is a balance here. And a third point. People often will look at Martha as the worker and Mary as the worshiper. Then they assume that we should be like more like Mary. Well, I disagree with that. I believe in a balance of the two, that we should be both worker and worshiper at the same time. Serving God is a form of worship, but Martha needed to learn to balance it with listening and implementing what Jesus tells her. And we do see to a degree she does do this thing. In the opening story, I told you about a girl we were calling Connie. She had the same problems Martha did. Though she could be a terrific server, she couldn't balance her willingness to serve me and listen to what I told her that she needed to do. 
You know, many of you know me um, as I was used to be the director of a nature center at a Christian camp in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. During the summers, during our family camps, I often had some paid help um, assist me, usually a college student or a high school student. And they would uh, come and help me teach classes, but not just that, they also helped in the operation of the Nature Center ministry. Each summer I would sit down with my assistants and explain to them when they would come that I was not their boss. The program director of the camp was not their boss. The executive director of the camp is not their boss. Jesus was their boss. They worked and served Jesus here, not me. I would be their mentor, I would be their leader, but they were never to refer to me as being their boss. I don't like that title. I tried to instill them, instill in them a good work ethic. I showed them teaching tips. I did Bible lessons with them. Uh, we prayed together and that our little nature center, and I told them this is so important, was to focus on Jesus. Every lesson that we did in the nature center, every science lesson, every nature lesson we did, always focused on God every single one. I told them that as God is pure and holy, the building needs to be cleansed, needs to be clean. Aquariums need to be maintained. Floors need to be swept. Classes need to be prepped because of his ministry. But I also showed them that they needed to take time daily to be fed spiritually. That included praying and studying the word of God. I will tell you, I was extremely blessed over the years while I worked there by dozens of servants. Many of them really stand out in my mind. For instance, I remember coming into the Nature Center early one morning and seeing some of them sitting at a table drinking tea and reading their Bibles together. Actually, that happened frequently. Other times I came in and they were busy vacuuming the floor when I came in in the morning. They're vacuuming or cleaning aquariums or something before they even go to breakfast. And then after breakfast, I always insisted they go to the Bible sessions. I can recall walking back to the Nature Center after I was teaching an outdoor class to find them in the Nature Center itself prepping classes for later on that day or the next day or even two days ahead. These people had such an excellent balance of serving God and still listening to him. At the end of each day, we would sit and have a cup of tea or hot chocolate and discuss how the day went, what we needed to address for tomorrow, What's more, we often would bond. I really bonded with a lot of these, these servants. And I still consider some of them like adopted children to me. They would come over to my house whenever possible, where my wife, Denise, would make treats for them. We would laugh. Sometimes we'd watch a video um, or an old TV show or something. We would relax together and just have fun. These people, they serve God very well. And at the same time, they grew closer to God. In other words, they found the balance. Well, that actually concludes our last lesson character, but I do want to give you a couple of final thoughts. I'll just go through something here to wrap up this whole series of what we've been doing on these Keep the Fire Burning. Um, so let me just, if you, if you don't mind, just let me go on a little bit longer here, another minute or two, to just uh, tell you about another little story here. A college student once approached me in my lab late one afternoon after work to ask me a question. We sat down, had a cup of tea at a table, and I asked her what she wanted to know. She said, Michael, I became a Christian in high school. 
and my life really changed. I was on fire for God and was walking close with him. But as I began college, I've noticed over the last few years that my walk has dwindled. You know, I don't feel very close to God right now. I want to walk close with him, but it just doesn't seem to work for me now. Is there something wrong with me? What's wrong? Well, I could tell she was disturbed by this and that she was very serious. I mean, after all, she sought me out to ask this question and find an answer. So she's serious. Sitting back in my chair, I looked into her eyes and gently asked her if I could ask her a couple of questions. I remember her nodding while she sipped her tea. First, I asked, are you certain you're a Christian? She replied that she was very sure of that. And then she reminded me of her salvation experience, which was very sound. Uh, I had no reason whatsoever to ever doubt her on this. Second, I asked her, is there some unconfessed sin that you're unrepentant of that has set up a roadblock in your walk with Jesus? Here she paused very thoughtfully before answering. But then she said, no, I truly can't think of something I'm unrepentant of. Though I still sin, I confess it and I try to repent. Well, I responded to that with affirmation. The third question I have is this. I asked her, how often do you talk with God and listen to him? She inquired if I meant prayer for talking with God, and I stated that she understood what I meant. She replied that she did pray every day, though usually now only at meals, just at the mealtime only. Then she asked me about when I said listening to God. I could tell from her expression here that, that she uh, was a bit puzzled by this. She asked me, do you mean, do I read the word, read my Bible often? I nodded and said, yes, that's, that's what I mean. She again paused for a long time. I remember her sitting there looking in her teacup. And then very quietly, she said, Michael, I haven't opened my Bible in eight months on my own. When I go to church, I open it for a sermon. That's all. And she asked me, do you think that could be the trouble? I said to her in a gentle and loving way, we've been friends for many years. One way that we've stayed close, even when you were hundreds of miles away, is that we often talked. The lines of communication are open. We dialogue. To keep a relation close, you have to dialogue with your friend. Dialogue so important in marriage. So important in keeping a close friend. You have, you have stopped listening, I said, and talking to God. You don't do that very much now. I said, that damages the relationship. You can't spiritually grow to your potential without listening to what God tells you in his 66 love letters he gave you. I'm going to repeat that because that is so important. You can't really grow spiritually in your potential without listening to what God tells you in the Bible he gave us. Well, she sat back and she said, she got it. She said she she gets it. A smile's on her face again. And then she asked me, well, should I go out and buy one of those yearly Bibles that have, you know, the Bible divided up in sections so I read it all in one year? I said, you don't have to do that. No, no, no. What you need to do is take your Bible And just study the Word of God. Don't read it as a novel, I said. Pick a short book to start with, 
or study a few sentences or a paragraph at a time. But whatever you do, when you pick up a, and just look for a small section, look for the who, what, when, where, whys, and hows, and investigate the answers for those in these verses. Sometimes you only go through a verse in a day or something like that, or maybe even take you days to go through one verse. I added that she could begin by studying different characters. I said, you don't have to even start with a book. I said, just pick little characters and they'll, you know, in the Bible, pick a Bible character and go through it. Research them. See what God can teach you through their lives. My friends, that's how I got the idea to write this book and do this series. It came from years ago, this conversation with that college student. The conversation with that lady made me think about how many people often dismiss minor characters found in the Bible. And in doing so, they miss the major lessons that they teach us on keeping our walk with God alive and on fire. My hope, my prayer, is that you have found in these lessons keys on how to keep your fire burning for Jesus. Thanks for joining me. It's been a a privilege and a pleasure to have you listening to us. We'd love to have your comments, and we'll be starting another series very soon. But until then, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.